The many meanderings of the first Gen X man. Excellent. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you, fake audience. You know, they say you're not real, but you know what I say? I say they're not real. Okay, that's what I say. Anyway, hello and welcome to episode four of the many meanderings of the first Gen X man. I am, of course, your host and chief meanderer, Will Boudreaux. Another week has gone by, and that means we are another week closer to summer. You remember summer. When kids don't have to get up at the crack of 10 a.m. for online school. When they can finally sleep in and just laze around in the pool all day. You know, instead of lazing around in their pajamas all day, pretending to do their online schoolwork. Hey, hey, that sounds like YouTube in there. Yeah, history of Minecraft. Do your homework or you're grounded. Oh wait, that won't work, I guess. Don't laugh at your father. Big week here in the Boudreaux household. My oldest son has just turned 16. That's right, 16 years old. We had a huge party for him, virtual, on Zoom. Then we had a virtual cake, and then we gave him a virtual Mustang GT convertible. He's such a lucky boy. Today, we're going to be talking all about being 16. Is there a more iconic age in anyone's life than 16? Full of hope and promise and, in my case, severe cystic acne. Not just acne, but bacne. I still had a great year when I was 16. An amazing year. The best year of my life up until that point. The bar was low. The first 15 years were happy, but you know, pretty standard. So, let's get started. I was the tender age of 16 when I won my first Nobel Prize for quantum physics for a thesis I wrote entitled, just kidding, I almost failed physics. I remember my physics teacher, a guy with the sunken eyes and ashen skin of a zombie from The Walking Dead, who would routinely leave the room for a cigarette break by uttering this charming phrase. I'll be right back, I just gotta go feed my lungs. Anyway, one time when I was trying to pass the same physics test for like the third time, my teacher actually said to me, What are you, mentally retarded, Boudreaux? Teachers said things like that back then. Yeah, the 80s weren't all pastel colors and hair scrunchies. There was a dark side. But I was pretty stupid in physics. Seriously, imagine turning 16 right now. What a weird time to have your 16th birthday. When I turned 16, I went to a party in the real world and we, and we drank real beer and my friends gave me a t-shirt that said Will the Wizard Killer on it because I was so good at this totally awesome new arcade video game that had just come out called Wizard of War. Did I just reveal too much about myself? I wasn't a nerd and, and I never drank beer when I was 16. At least not imported beer. Not imported beer from Europe. Okay, not imported beer from Sweden. Well, of course, only Tuborg, the golden beer of Danish kings. I'm pretty sure I was 16 the first time I really kissed a girl. It was in my friend Mark's basement. We sat there on the couch in front of a roaring fire. My trembling arm was around her shoulder for what seemed like hours until at last I mustered up the courage to kiss her. Oh, I forgot to mention that all my charming trepidation and shyness was happening while my friend and his girlfriend were literally at our feet, rolling around on the floor, seemingly in full rehearsal for a straight-to-video, softcore erotic thriller entitled Midnight in the Finished Basement of Love. 
My friend Mark's parents had a pretty progressive view of parenting for the time. Since he was the youngest and the only kid left at home, they used to give him a lot of freedom as long as he was in their house. The theory was there was only so much trouble we could get into in the house, which was mostly true. I mean, we never burned the place down or anything. Uh, I'm gonna sleep over at Mark's house Saturday night, okay, Mom? That's fine, Wilfred, but when are you going to have your friends over here sometime to sleep over? Yeah, um, sure, yeah, sometime. Uh, so I gotta go. I don't know what my mom's vision of the sleepovers at Mark's was, but it was definitely about a thousand miles from what would have flown at my house with my parents' home. Turn that music down, boys. Why are you all in your underwear? Who's that getting out of my clothes dryer? Is that boy urinating in your father's ski boot? Yeah, things got a little nuts in Mark's basement. At a certain point on most Saturday nights, we would tell my friend Dave to, to get in the clothes dryer. And he would. But we didn't turn it on. I mean, that would be irresponsible and could cause, you know, very severe, of course we turn the dryer on. Mark's parents must have had Sears appliance repair on speed dial because Dave always got in the dryer and we always turned it on. Pretty sure it says right there in the Kenmore Dryer Queen 3000 manual, caution, do not climb inside this dryer. Also make sure you clean the lint screen. I wish my teenage boys had a Mark's basement to go to. It seems all they ever do is yell at each other while they play online video games. I'm sure it's fun, but when you're 16, sometimes you just gotta get together and, you know, pee in a ski boot. Mark's parents would sometimes have an old-to-us French-Canadian woman stay over at his house when they went away to watch us. Never, ever, not once, ever did she venture down into the basement, and I'm pretty sure she was quite hard of hearing. Which is good, because six or seven 16-year-old boys, alone, in an enclosed space, with a high-wattage stereo, and roughly the testosterone level of a herd of Tyrannosaurus rexes, is not exactly a quiet crowd. The only thing she ever said to us when she mustered the courage to open the door to blasting Led Zeppelin and yelled down was, You boys want tacos? God love her, but for some reason, she enjoyed making our merry band of lunatics tacos. She'd also ask us to buy her a pack of parliaments if we went on one of our illicit late-night walks down to the Store 24 to stock up on Mountain Dew, Doritos, and, and these weird minty cigars that we used to call Blue Garcias because they came in blue plastic tubes. We'd smoke those cigars all the way back to Mark's house at about midnight, singing Ramble On or Tom Sawyer or Turn to Stone between gloriously minty puffs. For a while there, it was just us guys down there in Mark's basement. We didn't really know what to do with all our energy. We'd play music ridiculously loud and dance around like maniacs. We'd light huge fires in the fireplace. One time in the winter around midnight, we all decided it would be fun to run naked in the snow. That was a bad idea. But then all of a sudden, like flicking a switch, we started inviting girls over. And that's when things got much more interesting. This is going to sound ridiculously innocent, you know, like something out of a Frank Capra film, but I swear that in 1981, when we weren't bouncing off the walls in Mark's basement, we would actually go to a roller rink and go roller skating with the express purpose of meeting girls. The modus operandi for putting the moves on a roller rink cutie was to chatter up a bit at the snack bar, you know, maybe over some pretzel nuggets and a, a blue slushie and then wait for them to put on a slow song. Maybe Boz Skaggs, We're All Alone, or Ambrosia's You're the Biggest Part of Me, and ask her for a couple skate. A couple skate was the roller rink equivalent of a slow dance. Here was the exciting part. During a couple skate, you would actually, are you ready for this? Hold hands. 
That's right. We were pretty excited to hold the sweaty hand of the Farrah Fawcett-haired, love's baby soft-scented beauty. We happened to meet that evening and slowly skate in awkward romantic circles around and around the round roller rink. Of course, while the lights were lowered and usually a disco ball would be shimmering its ocular fairy dust all around the semi-dark cavernous space. I remember one time when I was couple skating with a girl from my high school on a Maynard High School marching band roller skate outing. I know, I know, you're shocked that I was a band nerd. I sure was, trumpet three years and then senior year, tuba baby. Anyway, one time when I was couple skating with this girl who I quite liked, I held onto her hand just a little too long after the lights had come up and the disco ball had stopped turning and the magic spell in the roller rink had suddenly broken. Uh, can, can we let go of our hands now? She said, suddenly embarrassed by our overt public display of affection revealed in the now blinding fluorescent light. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sorry, I replied, horrified at my teenage faux pas. It ended well, since later she became my high school girlfriend. That's right, despite having absolutely zero self-confidence and my aforementioned severe cystic acne, our dermatologist actually described my acne as stage four, you know, like cancer. What's stage five, leprosy? Anyway, despite those challenges, I did have a little game in high school. This brings me to another difference between being 16 then and 16 now. My 16-year-old son has never been to a dance. Not because he's shy, because they simply don't happen. I asked the high school guidance counselor why they never had dances, and she told me that they used to, but then dances were canceled due to lack of interest. Lack of interest? High school dances were huge when I was in high school. They were the social events we looked forward to. I'm going to say we had at least four dances in any given school year, and we wouldn't have missed any of them. Usually there'd be a local band who played. If we were lucky, it would be Maynard, Massachusetts' own band, Universe, playing their hit song, Space Machine, which we'd occasionally hear on WAAF, the Rock and Roll Air Force. Check it out on YouTube. It's a classic sci-fi-influenced suburban Massachusetts rock jam. Here's a little clip. Ah, yes. Takes me right back to the Maynard High School cafeteria. Covered in crepe paper, streamers, and the smell of hopeful anticipation and cruel rejection hanging in the air. You learn a lot about life and the death of your soul at a high school dance. I remember the first time I asked a girl to dance with me in high school. Her response was obviously something her mom had told her to say to boys to, you know, let them down easy. Maybe later. Ow. Ouch. I'll never forget that one. But as Kelly Clarkson has taught us all, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm going to take a quick break now to bring you a word from today's fake sponsor, the McDonald's Corporation. Okay, calm down. Don't be hating on the Mickey D's. You have to understand that it was a gigantic deal when my little town actually got our very own McDonald's right in the middle of our downtown right about when I was about 16 years old. To us, it wasn't just a place to go for delicious food. You know, like the 20-piece McNugget packs we either inhale or attempt to throw into each other's mouths at increasingly far distances. 
or the fleeting delights of their limited-time-only menus like that triumph of culinary art and science, the McRib Sandwich, or the minty temptress who'd steal our hearts every March only to run off into the night, leaving us shattered and stained fluorescent green, the Shamrock Shake. It was also really just a place to go. Seriously, there wasn't much to do in Maynard. We were getting in and out of household appliances for a laugh, so the McDonald's, for us, was really a huge upgrade. We'd go just to see who else was there. Maybe, just maybe, there'd be some girls there. And maybe, just maybe, they'd talk to us. And maybe, just maybe, we'd get together with those girls and, and go somewhere. Actually, that never happened. But it could have happened, and that was good enough for us. Plus, they were french fries. So, you know, the evening was never a total loss. I actually worked at our McDonald's a couple of years after high school. I commuted to BC for my sophomore year, and I, I took a gig as a grill guy at McDonald's right there in my hometown. I had to explain pretty much every time to some kid from Maynard High who'd see me there that I had not dropped out of college. I was just part-time, and no, I can't give you free french fries. So yes, McDonald's was a huge part of me being 16 years old and will therefore always hold a special place in my heart. And yes, every March, I take the Boudreaux boys down to McDonald's right here in Mount Kisco, New York, for yet another fleeting taste of that ephemeral masterpiece, the Shamrock Shake. And if you like this fake ad, McDonald's, and I'm talking to you, Ronald, don't look at Mary McCheese, I'm talking to you. Feel free to make it a real one. It would be impossible to talk about my 16th year without mentioning my dramatic peak, getting the lead role of George M. in the high school musical, George M. I remember seeing my name posted up on the band room door with all the roles that had been assigned, and there I was, right at the top. I knew right then and there that my life would never be the same. Of course, I was wrong. My life pretty much was the same, except a guy did recognize me once in an elevator at the doctor's office. Hey, uh, weren't you in George M? Mom, I'm famous, I said when the elevator door shut. But fame is fleeting, and no fame is more fleeting than small-town high school musical fame. My fame lasted for six words in an elevator. Nonetheless, it was a lot of fun being in that show. The songs were a crowd-pleaser. Your Grand Old Flag, Give My Regards to Broadway, Over There, Yankee Doodle Boy. That musical is like the soundtrack to the Republican National Convention in about 1943. Let's just say there were a lot of guys with VFW hats in the crowd. And in one thrilling dance number, my friend Dave and I both linked arms with our leading ladies and flipped them right over our backs. They both landed on their feet and just kept right on dancing. These days, everybody definitely would have been wearing helmets. I remember opening night, just prior to curtain, I was shocked to suddenly receive bouquets of flowers from five or six different girls in the cast. I was 16, I had trouble talking to girls. I certainly wasn't used to getting flowers from them. And little notes with break a leg smiley face written in pink flowing script. Girls paying attention to me? My self-confidence got a boost that night of nuclear proportions. Those flowers were like Popeye's spinach, and just like Popeye, I inhaled them up through my corncob pipe and suddenly felt like a superhero. A weird thing they made us do when we were in plays in high school was apply tons of pancake makeup to our faces and heavy eyeliner. We all look like drag queens or, or silent movie stars or, or one of the Kardashians. I have no idea why somebody thought all that stage makeup was necessary, but I always hated it. Immediately after every performance, we'd go into the boys' locker room and jump in the shower, aggressively scrubbing all that crap off like we just had a tour of Chernobyl, and we were scrubbing off all the uranium dust. Then it was off to the cast party. Cast parties weren't just for the cast, they were for the crew and pretty much anyone else who wanted to come. 
I remember coming home from a cast party and walking right into our living room to find my parents still up and entertaining some of our neighbors. They were sitting around drinking highballs and whiskey sours and the occasional grasshopper. They had all been to see me and George M. that night and had probably spent the evening telling my mom how amazing and talented and handsome and great in every possible way their son Wilfred was. And then I stumbled in, like the drunk in an old western movie, fresh from the cast party where they had served a kind of punch referred to as moose juice. I remember my dad, upon seeing me walk into that room, just saying, uh-oh. Apparently the moose juice consumption was immediately apparent. My mom was so unbelievably mad at me, she grabbed me by the arm and pulled me through the kitchen and into the family room. And she shut the door, took one look at me, and slapped me right across the face. That was the only time my mom ever hit me. It wasn't a good feeling. Not the slap. I could barely feel that. It was the look in her eyes. She was usually so proud of me, but I'd let her down and embarrassed her. The next day, she still loved me, and I made a concerted effort to not come home in that condition again. I was mostly successful, mostly due to sleepovers at Mark's house. Of course, I also got my driver's license when I was 16, another seminal moment. And speaking of my mom, one of my favorite memories of her was when she took me from my road test to get my license. My road test guy was, was pretty cranky and he kind of gave me a hard time. In fact, I was pretty sure I was gonna flunk, but in the end, he just had me put our Ford LTD station wagon in park and proceeded to lecture me. You know, son, you've gotta watch your left-hand turns. I've noticed you've got a tendency to cut the corner when you're turning left and that can be disastrous. I want you to work on this and practice those left-hand turns. You hear that, Mrs. Boudreaux? Oh yes, we will certainly work on those turns, won't we, Wilfred? Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Well, I brought it to your attention because there are lives on the line, Mrs. Boudreaux. Absolutely, yes, we understand how serious this is, sir. My mom replied, putting on her best serious face. The stern teacher reluctantly passed me, and when he got out of the car, I turned around to look at my mom, who'd been in the back seat. It was then I realized that one of the lenses in her big plastic-framed 70s sunglasses was missing. Unbeknownst to my poor mother, she had a dark lens on one eye and no lens covering the other eye. So when she was trying to be serious, she actually looked completely insane. Yes, yes, it's very serious, so serious. Why do you keep looking at my right eye? I wonder what the stern instructor thought of her as she looked at him. He was probably looking around the car for an empty fifth of vodka. My mom spent so much time in Purity Supreme Supermarket that she knew the aisles by heart, so her grocery lists were always written in the order she would encounter things in the store, aisle by aisle. I could always make my mom laugh, and we'd often laugh together as we roamed the aisles of that supermarket, giggling about where the Keebler elves lived, or Mr. Clean's earring, or, or asking someone in the next Rolls Royce to pass us the Grey Poupon. My mom often told the story of her favorite brand of dinner napkin, an elegant paper product called Onlawan. One day, she couldn't find it in the store, so she asked the clerk, Excuse me, sir, where are the Onlawan napkins? I'm sorry, ma'am, come again. Onlawan napkins. They're a special dinner napkin I like to buy, you know, for Sunday. Onlawan napkins. I've been buying them here for years, you know, Onlawan. The clerk looked at her, mystified, and then he smiled. Oh, you mean only one? Yeah, only one napkin. Yeah, we got those. They're right over here next to the Charmin. My poor mom, who always wanted the best for us, had thought she was buying a fancy European napkin brand, only to find out that it was just a stupid American napkin that spelled the word one wrong. To her credit, she always laughed when she told that story. 
16 was when I really started pulling away from my parents. Two of my friends had lake houses in New Hampshire, and so that summer I'd beg my parents to let me go away for the weekend with my friends. They'd usually let me, and I had a great time up there at Lake Winnipesaukee, still one of my favorite places in the whole world. But it must have been sad for them those weekends I was gone, looking at my empty room, the house quiet, my older sisters off doing their own thing. It's the kind of thing I dread now, the kids leaving, the quiet house, the empty rooms. But back then I couldn't understand why in the world they'd ever want me to stay home on the weekend when I could go somewhere with my friends and have fun. You're having a little bit too much fun, Wilfred, they'd say to me. What? I'd say. How is that even possible? There is no such thing as too much fun. I would say completely flabbergasted at their profound ignorance. I'm pretty sure I was 16 the summer my friends and I piled into my friend Bob's Mustang Mach 1, the coolest car ever made, and drove down to the Cape Cod Coliseum to see a Journey concert. Bob was the first one to get a license and a car, which he bought himself, by the way, and I remember the first time we were all out in that car, actually to go roller skating, being just blown away by the freedom we were experiencing. We were in a car, going somewhere, without parents involved. It was amazing. I'll never forget the feeling. The radio cranked up, my friends and I all laughing at everything. So happy to be together, so happy to be going anywhere, to be doing anything. I want my son to have that feeling. Anyway, we made the two-hour drive down to Cape Cod to see Journey, and they were awesome, of course. Journey's one of my guilty pleasures. I've always loved Steve Perry's voice, and those opening piano chords of Don't Stop Believin' get me going every time. Anyway, we went down there, saw the show, and there was a huge traffic jam coming back. At one point, I called my parents from a payphone and told them I'd be late. To their credit, they were very understanding, and they didn't give me a hard time. When I got home about 1 a.m., my parents were asleep, which kind of took me aback. They usually waited up for me, so it felt something like a rite of passage. Then I walked into my room, and I saw that my dad had assembled the rack stereo system that I had just got on sale at a stereo store that was going out of business. It was called Fred Locke Stereo. Rack stereos were monstrosities, with a turntable, an amp, a dual tape deck, and a receiver, all with about a thousand wires that had to be connected. Sonos is way, way, way easier, but that's what we had then. Anyway, I'd had it for a few days, in boxes, and I hadn't gotten around to putting it all together, and while I was gone, he just did it for me. It was a great surprise. I don't know why that tiny moment has stayed with me all these years, but it has. It was the first time I realized how thoughtful my dad was, or that he even thought about me when I wasn't there. So, my big, tall, handsome boy just turned 16 this week, and I really hope that he kisses someone he likes this year, and that he laughs often with his friends, in person, not just while playing Dead Zombie 2, The Reckoning. And then he goes to a dance and he gets his heart broken. And then he goes to a party and has fun. And then he gets his driver's license. And then he goofs around with his buddies at McDonald's. And then he remembers one or two little things that his mom and dad did this year that made him feel loved. Because he's 16. And that's what 16 should be. Not dealing with the year we've had foisted upon us. Not missing school for months and being stuck in the house. Not worrying about COVID or looting or systemic racism. He'll have plenty to worry about later in life. Right now, I want him to have as epic and amazing and wonderful 16th year as I had. He deserves it. Every 16-year-old deserves it. I hope he gets it.
That's all for this week's episode of The Many Meanderings of the First Gen X Man. I'd like to thank you all very much for listening. Please tell your friends, Gen X and otherwise. My sincere thanks to Maynard Highzone, Mike Rolla, and the other members of the band Universe for allowing me to use Space Machine in this podcast. If you'd like to download Space Machine, go to Amazon.com. It's only 99 cents, the deal of the century. This show was written and produced by me. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram at FirstGenXMan, where you can find exclusive photos and a transcript of this week's episode. And if you really liked what you heard today, please take a second to log a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and help my podcast dreams come true. I'd like to thank this week's fake sponsor, McDonald's, home of that minty temptress, the Shamrock Shake. Also, ginormous thanks to Watt White for our show's theme music, Watt with two T's White. Check him out online. I'm Will Boudreaux, and I'll see you when we meander again. The many meanderings of the first Gen X-Man. Excellent. Excellent.